This is the Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. Catch Stan every weekday at 2 on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR. Yesterday's win was important for any number of reasons. First of all, it gets the Steelers over the hum. Not completely, but they're on the plus side of 500 now. Only a half game behind Cincinnati and Baltimore. Now, on the positive side, they have a tie-break advantage right now, head-to-head over the Bengals, but they don't have one over Baltimore. That could change. They have games with each team remaining. But it keeps them within distance. 2-3-1 wouldn't have knocked them out of the playoffs, and and 3-2-1 doesn't guarantee they'll be in them. But it puts them on a much better road, a much better path. Now, a couple of things about the game. I'm glad they won, if only for this reason. Because had they lost the game, and they were a minute 12 away from doing so, it would have sounded like all sour grapes complaining about officiating. But since they won, let me say, and I mentioned this on the post-game show yesterday on the Steelers Network, I've been watching pro football for more than 60 years. And yesterday was one of the worst officiated games I've ever seen in those 60 years. And not because of bad calls, judgment calls, but because of no calls. They let an awful lot go. And it's amazing that the game didn't end up into the street brawl that it has in past years. That was a really, really poor job of officiating. Very poorly done by Cleet Blakeman and his crew. Not to dwell on it, and it's not just the helmet-to-helmet or some of the things that Burfecht was doing, as usual. But how about the second and goal on the play where the James Conner play, where they didn't score and and didn't challenge? We'll get to all that. But on the second down play, threw it past Jesse James, and the defensive back got a big fistful of Jesse James' jersey. How do you miss that? All right, enough of that. One of the reasons that the Steelers won the game is they were much more physical than the Bengals. And I don't mean in terms of penalties. Steelers had too many. Again, nine. Way too many. Still leading the league. That's why you can't call them one of the best teams in the league. But they weren't of the personal foul variety. They were physical legally. The offensive line just punished the Bengals' front seven. Just punished them. Ben, if it hadn't been raining, would not need his jersey dry cleaned. They didn't touch him all day long. We saw the gaping holes they opened up for James Conner. 
And to give you an idea of how dominant they were, and I'm going to talk about some individuals I thought had outstanding games. Geno Atkins is an all-pro player. He, he was tied for the league lead in sacks with the Watt brothers. Yesterday, Geno Atkins had no solo tackles, one assist. He could have gotten the assist by just tripping and falling on somebody. The offensive line totally took Atkins out of the game. Dunlap, Carlos Dunlap, two tackles, two assists. Their leading tackler was the strong safety Bates, four solo, five assists. You do not want your strong safety, even if he's up in the box, to lead your team in tackles. Which brings us to the inside linebacker. Vontez Burfick got his ass kicked. He was punished. And it wasn't only by DeCastro and Gilbert and Pouncey and Foster and Big Al. It was by Vance McDonald who ran him over. That, that's why we played that play at the start of the program. By James Connor. Perfect tried to go helmet to helmet. Connor said, okay, more than happy to accommodate you, Vontez, and just knocked him on his keister. The Steelers were dominant physically. And you don't like to quantify physicality by the number of players hurt. That's not the way the game is supposed to be played. Someone should tell Burfick that. But the Bengals had an awful lot of secondary people leaving the game. And Burfick as well. They were much more physical. And this will sit with the Bengals more than anything. You've probably heard me espouse this theory before, but I will do it again because I believe it wholeheartedly. No matter what the record was going in, 4-1 and one versus 2-2-1, two, two and one, the Bengals look at themselves as being inferior to the Steelers. And, oh, there was just all this bravado. We think we're the better team. Well, that's okay. They should think they're better. But deep down inside, until they beat the Steelers, they cannot validate how good they might be. That's the bugaboo. The Steelers are the boogeyman. To the Cincinnati Bengals, who's your daddy? And on top of that, in conjunction with that, the Bengals not only want to beat the Steelers, they want to beat them up. Why? Because for years, really going back into the 50s and 60s, the Steelers have always been a very physical outfit. Even back in the days when they were losers, have losing teams, the theory would go, the Steelers might not beat you, but they will beat you up. And then certainly they combined the two in the 70s, and so the Bengals are well aware of that reputation. And they believe that in order to gain respect, somebody told me, you may have seen it on Twitter, there was a big sign at Paul Brown Stadium for one of the fans that said, make them respect us. 
Well, one of the ways the Bengals players think they can make the Steelers respect them is to be tougher than they are, to be more physical than they are. That leads to a lot of the extracurricular crap, which they generally initiate and have for a number of years. Because winning the game isn't enough for them. They've got to prove to the Steelers, hey, we're as tough as you are. And that's what leads to a lot of that stuff. And the mere fact that they got dominated so completely physically yesterday has to hurt as much as losing a game they thought they had won. I found it ironic that the offensive unit became a hero. They easily could have been the GOAT for failure to score touchdowns on short yardage near the goal line. If they lose that game, yes, you can talk about the defense allowing a 75-yard drive, hot knife through butter. And that's why there are still plenty of things to work on for sure. But had they lost that game, needing the defense to step up big, I thought overall – The defense played pretty well. If you would have said to me before the game, the Steelers will allow the Bengals 21 points, I would have said, I'll take it. I'll take that. The last drive is what we'll remember. And if you're going to be a very good team, a great team, whatever, a contending team, you can't have that. Not at that time of the game. You may allow drives. And you know what? I thought the defense played pretty well. Stop and think. That the kick return game, which the kick coverage, I should say, was awful. That didn't do the defense any favors, although they had a chance to stop them, too. Special teams were not good. The kickoff returns, they had done a very good job up until this. You can't have that, especially momentum swings. You go up 14-7, and then you give up a kickoff return. So the Bengals score at the end of the half. And I don't know what Cameron Kennedy thinks his job is. It's it's to snap and not hold. He snapped fine. He was hit for two holding penalties, and that cost you field position. Can't have it. By now, I'm sure you've already heard the pick rule explained. There are a lot of people on Twitter who allegedly are supposed to know the game who do not. Had it all wrong. But Charlie Batch, on our post-game show yesterday, right here on the Steelers Network, explained how that works. I won't go over it again. If you need an explanation, we'll be glad to help. It was a legal play. It was legal. I'm sure they're crying in Cincinnati, but it was a legal play. When we return, I want to get to some of the individuals. We're going to go to the phone lines, 412-922-2874, pound 970. Tweet me, at Stan Love the Show. I want to talk about some of the individuals I thought had outstanding games. Tunch will join us at 1240. Joe Rudder of the Trib was there. He talked to Juju Smith-Schuster about Juju saying that they threatened him. They threatened him. When they got A.B. with that illegal helmet-to-helmet with Bates and perfect, let's see what happens with the league, if anything. 
Juju claims that Burfick said to Juju, you're next. How long will they allow this guy to play? All right. Much more to come today on a Steeler Monday right here on Savern on Sports. Thank you for listening to someone who actually knows what they're talking about. The Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. Then in the shotgun from his 46, protected to his left and Connor. He's back. He fires it down the field. It's caught at the 35. Down to the 32 comes Juju Smith-Schuster. And that stops the clock at 15 seconds with the Steelers' timeout. What a huge play that takes. Yeah, we talk about the pass to A.B. for the touchdown, but some of those completions certainly down in distance and in that drive to Juju were absolutely critical. We're joined now by Tunchokin, who saw it there firsthand, and he once again got to watch the fans go down the Escaloozer right into the <laughs> Ohio River. I, Tunch, I came up with this suggestion in the postgame show with Charlie. I think when the Bengals blow games like that, that they, in full uniform, should be made to ride the Escaloozer down with the fans so the fans can taunt them and yell at them, you know, right down uh, into the river. Uh, uh, you've been in huddles like that. I- I'm wondering, you know, when you're looking at the length of the field, basically uh, 77 yards in this case, uh, is anything said in the huddle by anybody? Yeah, you know, uh, there, there's there's always a, uh, some chatter. You know, someone says, "Come on, guys, well, this is it, man. We're going to do this." And you know, we used to, you know, we used to talk in the huddle uh, a lot. Uh, you know, you know, Webby. Uh, when I was a young player, and in the huddle, Webby would say, "Come on, you know, let, let's, uh, uh, you know, we got to give him time, or you know, let's, uh, you know, let's pound the ball down their throats." You know, Webby used to say something, and then when it was my turn. Uh, you know, uh, that I would say something. And so, yeah, there, there's a lot of things said. And, and I think there's a, you know, when you have a Hall of Fame quarterback like Ben, there's a lot of confidence in there. You're not, uh, it's not like, oh, gosh, can we do this? It's like, okay, let's get her done. Let's give her, uh, you know, let's give him the time and, uh, and, and, and let him make the plays. We're going to look at the offense, and we're going to remember that last drive. And I've already talked about some of that. We played the one catch by Juju. The five-yard holding penalty uh, on Kirkpatrick was huge, or it would have been yeah. a fourth and ten. But we're going to look at the offense and, and their heroics. But I found an ironic touch that had they not pulled that game out, it would have been, yeah, the defense didn't come up big when they needed to, but it would have been the offense for failing to convert touchdowns when they had the opportunity. That would have been the main reason they lost the game. Yeah, absolutely, uh, Stan. And, and I, you know, the, there were a couple of times. You know, there were there were some plays left on the field. Uh, you know, you think about the uh, almost interception by Joe Hayden. I mean, you know, uh, that was a lollipop that Andy Dalton threw up there, and I, you know, I thought that was an easy catch for him. And so that was a play that was left out there. They scored a touchdown after that. You know, and then. Uh, when you, you know you're on the one yard line and you don't get in, that that can be very very demoralizing. And so, yeah, there were a lot of there, there were plays that were left, and obviously, uh, when you don't score the touchdowns, you get the field goals. That that's um, you know that is a little demoralizing as as well. 
but uh, you got to give them credit because they, you know, there there was never any that there were, the game was never in doubt. You know, when uh, when Dalton and or when Mixon scored uh, with a minute eighteen left, I, I I said on the broadcast, I said, well, they got still three timeouts, a minute eighteen, they got plenty of time uh, to win this football game. I wasn't thinking touchdown though. I was thinking Kitten Bus sure. close enough to, for a chip shot, and uh, and then. You know, at the beginning of that play, uh, when, you know, I saw the blitz coming in during the broadcast, I go, here comes the blitz. And and then I saw uh, A.B. in motion, so I knew he, he, I, he was the hot read. And so he runs that slam, the ball, and I still, I was expecting him to get tackled. I was I go, good, that's closer, that's closer. Oh, he's in the end zone. And, I mean, that was just a, a beautiful play, beautiful throw. And you know what, and, and as much as people complain, about AB and his social media, and you know, and his controversial comments uh, or behavior. I always say this: Look, nobody works harder than AB in practice. Nobody puts in the time to be a great player uh, like AB. Uh, you know, there are guys that you know maybe work as hard as him, but nobody works harder. And and uh, the the fact is that you can be quiet all game long, but when the game's on the line and you go to him, he's going to deliver, and that's what he did. Well, I think that's a good point. I, you know, it's it's funny because that play really was really designed to pick up five seven yards, you yeah. know, to make the field goal easier for uh, uh, the for the place kicker for Boswell. Uh, but that really stuck out to me. Um, I I, mean, I think that's right, but I also think that. Um, just saying, well, he's a great player and a hard worker is not enough when he exhibits behavior that is counterintuitive to the benefit of the team. And by that I mean, he, he has to understand that when he's being doubled and tripled, that other guys, uh, you know, from a team concept are getting open. What I found uh, encouraging about yesterday, you know, he only targeted a couple times in the first half. He had one catch. It was for a third down conversion, but he stayed in the game. He stayed with his yeah. head in the game. And and he didn't, you know, kick any Gatorade coolers or anything like that. Um, and, you know, he, he stayed with it, which maybe represents some progress, realizing that he was doing some good, even though he wasn't catching a lot of balls. Right. You know, I think one of the things that, uh, that he's got to realize that the attention that he garners uh, opens it up for other people. And, uh, and the thing you got to love about this offense is the number of, uh, of weapons they have, whether it's Juju or uh, Vance McDonald. And, you know, I really, and, and Stan, one of the things that, that really impressed me was the way they went to ace. You know, they started out in ace personnel, two tight ends. And, uh, and Vance really set the tone on that opening drive, although they didn't, they, you know, they ended up punting. But he had three touch, he had three catches for 30 yards and every, catch man he was running somebody over and so that is a great you know that that's a, a tone setter as we used to say that sets the tone of physicality and you know you gotta love that because uh offensively uh, you know my old buddy mike mark used to say this when he was the offensive coordinator here he used to say i want other teams to talk about how physical we are offensively like other offenses talk about how physical we are defensively. And, you know, that's why when uh, Mike was the head coach at Tennessee, uh, you know, the, his offense was described described as exotic smash mouth. I mean, 
Uh, you look at the way they, they ran out of split backs and uh, two tights and a full, sometime at a fullback, they wanted to establish physicality. And then they, you know, they run some, you know, uh, gadgets and uh, some big plays off of that. And that's what I, I, I'm looking at the Steelers offense, man. They're playing physical football. They're pounding the ball with uh, James and they're throwing the ball to Vance Backle or to Vance McDonald, rather. And he's running over people. And you got to love that. Absolutely. I, I <clears throat> made it a big topic today um, that the. You know, we think about being physical. I think the Bengals, frankly, their definition of physical is let's see how many guys we can knock out uh, yeah. the, because they want to prove how tough they are uh, that, you know, the Steelers have the rep and, and the performance. And they said, we, we, we not only want to win, we want to uh, – there was a sign in the stadium. I'm sure you saw it. Make them respect us. Well, their idea of respecting uh, us is elbowing people in the head. But the Steelers, I thought, and I'm – I thought the offensive line was magnificent yesterday, mm-hmm. not only in keeping Ben clean, but, I mean, they ju- just wiped out that front. Geno Atkins had one assist the entire game. Right. That's it. Um, yeah. And, and um, pardon my French, they absolutely kicked Vontez Burfick's ass. Yeah, they did. They did. And you know what? The, 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 the point you made was, uh, Chino Atkins, you know, one of the things that I was saying all last week is you block Chino Atkins and you block, block Carlos, Carlos Dunlap, you're going to win this football game. You know, I didn't even, I wasn't even thinking about uh, uh, Vontez Perfect. And, you know, last week, you know, the, the thing about uh, Chino Atkins is he's very, very hard to cut off on the backside runs. And he does a great job of getting into the gap, and he's a disruptor. He disrupts plays off, uh, on, uh, on run plays. He just disrupts plays uh, uh, on passing plays. And so last week, they spent a lot of time working on the backside seal. You know, every time I passed by Munch, he was, uh, uh, they were working on that and, and, and what that, the, the backside seal is. So uh, Gino Atkins lines up on the outside shoulder of either Ramon or David DeCastro almost in the gap between the guard and the tackle. So a run that's going away, you've got to double that guy out, and the lead guy, which is the guard, can't leave until he's secured. And they worked on that and worked on that and worked on that during individual periods last week, and, and it paid off. And then, you know, he's, he's, he's hard to cut off on the backside, and he's also very good at, um, at uh, uh, splitting the double team. Well, the Steelers did a great job at double teaming double teaming them off the and, and you know they did. You know the way they worked on that, and Munch had them work on that. It, it was, and you saw the fruit in that game. Planning and preparation is the residue of hard work. Um, ends up in victory. Tunch, thank you very much. Uh, don't forget Tunch and Wolf every weekday, 10 a.m. till noon. No bye week for them, no bye week for us. Um, so they'll be uh, they'll be on the air, of course, uh, every day this week. And you guys are going to be in the studio. So um, I will see you here tomorrow, Tunch. All right, buddy. Thanks, Stan. Thank you very much. Tunch Oaken, he joins us the uh, day after every Steelers game. Trivia question answer. Ravens had 11 sacks yesterday. That's fairly frightening. Um, that surprised me, not the 11, and the fact they shut out Tennessee, but 11 sacks will do that. What quarterback has been sacked the most times in NFL history? Brett Favre. Yeah, Brett Favre. 525 sacks. Second, by the way, John Elway. Both are in the Hall of Fame.
Greg, tell me who the winner was again, please. Joe and McDonald, PA. Joe, nice going. No McDonald's for you. You're going to the Carlton restaurant. Um, we got another Joe, Country Joe and the Fish. Yeah. Joe Rudder, the trip, joins me next. More Steeler talk. Saverin on Sports ESPN Pittsburgh. The Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. Gets the snap. Blitz picked up. Throws it down the right sideline. That pass will be caught. Caught. Touchdown. Juju Smith-Schuster. He took it away from Darquez Denard. Oh. Literally took it away. What a play by Juju. You know, it was it was, it was was appropriate, man. He had a look in his eye, man. He had a good week's work. Um, you know, James just wants to put his hand in the pile and be one of the reasons why we're successful. He wants to prove that. Um, like a lot of young guys, Juju wants to prove that. Um, and and they're, they're getting opportunities to do it, and they're delivering. So how does last year's draft class look to you now? Juju, T.J. Watt, James Conner, young guys kind of taking the mantle. We're joined now by another young guy. (laughs) 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 Compared to me, Joe, be be thankful. I'm Joe Rudder of the Tribune Review. Before we talk about yesterday, you know, the question, I'm keeping an eye on your Twitter account and everybody else. Um, Any L. Bell sighting at all? Uh, not that I know of. I, I'm actually standing outside the facility now as I talk to you, and uh, no, there's nothing. Um, you know, they, they're about ready to go into the indoor facility. If they're not there already to stretch, and then they have an availability here in about 15 minutes. Uh, I don't expect him to be in there. I think if he does show up today, it might be later and maybe somewhere off-site where he has to take a physical um, and maybe it's not even today. Maybe it's tomorrow. Maybe it's Wednesday. Heck, maybe he's decided against showing up this week. Who knows? Yeah, uh, just to give people, again, refresh what they're doing. They they meet today, but they practice tomorrow and Wednesday. Then they'll be off uh, until Monday. So if the old idea was to get in a few extra practices, then he needs to be here um, tomorrow. I, I wanted to begin, Joe, um, not that this had an effect in the game. We played that catch by Juju, the one that led to a touchdown by James Conner, uh, and it, it struck me that Juju had two drops very early. And, of course, everybody began to think, well, you know, he's perfect and, you know, lurking like a shark in the water. But I I really liked the way he responded. And I wondered, I know you talked to Juju after the game, if he had any conversation about the way he started and the way he finished. Yeah, he, he didn't really say much. He just said he got off to a slow start. He didn't say anything about really the drops or anybody being in his head. But he, you know, he felt comfortable as the game went on, and I mean, you saw that somersault catch over the defensive back that you know almost went for a touchdown, and you know the big catch he made there at the, uh, you know, at the end of the game, and then even um, you know even the two point conversion. I mean, he was all over the place, and he was you know other than that one pass to Antonio Brown, our most valuable receiver yesterday. Uh, he did say that he called him major threats made against him by the Bengals. That perfect that they were swearing at him and perfect claimed that he uh, that Juju had spit on him. So uh, a lot of talk that way, but no, nothing. You know, it, it didn't seem like anybody tried to retaliate against him. Well, I, I actually read your tweet uh, on the postgame show yesterday on the Steelers Network, uh, giving you credit, of course, where Juju said, um, or somebody else said, 
that when they nailed Antonio Brown, which went unpunished, that Burfick was alleged to have said to uh, Juju, you're next. Yeah, I, I did hear that somewhere. I, I, I wasn't the one who reported that, but somebody, I did see somebody say that. And it wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't surprise me. And I'm sure Burfick didn't take too kindly to being knocked out of the game by Vance McDonald for about the last five minutes of the, of the second quarter. And maybe he felt his manhood was being challenged and he needed to go out and uh, get some retribution. Well, his manhood was challenged and it was squashed on the turf. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, Connor nailed him. Uh, you know, the interior line with Pouncey in particular, they just totally dominated him. Yeah, he wasn't. I mean, he had eight tackles, but he really wasn't as much of a factor as someone, you know, like that had. He knocked a few passes down. But really, I mean, he was kind of taken out of the game. And, you know, like, again, as you said, you saw with Vance McDonald, he just, you know, wasn't able to stop guys. And, uh, you know, got a little bit of taste of his own medicine, I guess. Well, I'm still waiting. I mean, maybe we'll be waiting in vain to see if, indeed, there's going to be any reaction from the league for the elbow to Brown, which was aimed at his head, but uh, actually missed. It was, you know, completely unnecessary. Uh, Joe, overall, I mean, this is not going to define the Steelers' season, but do you believe that it puts them uh, on on track that uh, it, it puts them in the headed in the right direction heading into the bye week? Oh, I think so. I mean, you know, you look at, you know, if they, if they lose that game 21-20, now they're two and a half games back out of first place. They're, you know, actually then they're trailing, uh, well, they're still tied with Cleveland and they're, you know, trailing Baltimore as well. I, I think it would have put them in a real bad position. Now, I mean, you know, there's still, there's still a lot of work to be done and they still have that monstrous second half of the season, on, especially on the road. But yeah, I think to come out of this, Three, two, and one. You know, considering the way they started, yeah, it's about as good as you can expect it. By the way, speaking about going on the road, I just was not aware of this. The Steelers are eight zero and one in their last nine road games. Figure that out. <laughs> yeah, and then you know, then they got to go to Baltimore. I think that's going to be a pretty tough one in uh, about three weeks. Yeah, no doubt, w- without w- without question. Uh, when you stop and consider um, the defense, we're going to look back at that last drive. Um, I actually thought that they played pretty well. Uh, if you would have told me before the game began that the Bengals would only get 21 points, I would have said, I'll take that. I'm on board with that. And, of course, the kickoff returns didn't help them out either. So, I mean, how do we look at this defense? They did not come up with a big play when they needed it. But then again, overall, I thought they did a pretty good job on a pretty good offense. I think they, they did too. I mean, you, you know, Joe Hayden. You know, if he makes that interception, that takes away a touchdown. Yep. Um, you know, and two of those drives were like around the 50, 55 yards. The only long one was that last one. But up, you know, I, I wrote something today in a follow up that you know had the, had the game ended right there after Chris Boswell's field goal, and there's three and a half minutes left. At that point, the Steelers had given up 187 yards and only 35 in the second half. So they they were playing very well up until that last drive. And really, when you finish up giving up 275 yards, that's a pretty good performance. Now, the offense did keep the, you know, they weren't on the field as much because the offense was controlling the clock. But I think that's how this team has to play. Let the offense move the ball, keep the defense on the sidelines. And when the defense is out there, you know, it, 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 you know for a short amount of times, I think that plays into its strength. You know, the, uh, the, the, the postgame stats show that Joe Hayden was singled up on A.J. Green 67% of the time. And Andy Dalton did target Green 12 times. 
but he only caught seven of those 12, which is a you know reasonable percentage, only 12 yards per reception. You know, normally he's up in the 15, 16, 17 range. Um, no touchdowns. So, again, uh, you know, Joe Hayden was key in that defense. Yeah, they're, they're just, you know, as you saw when he sat out that, uh, I think it was the Kansas City game earlier in the year, they're, they're a much better team when he's on the field. Um, he's able to shut down number one receivers. And even when they're not playing, you know, straight up with him, you know, uh, a man on, on one particular guy, he just he, he's shown he's able to make the plays. Now it's on the other side, uh, the other cornerback position where they're having problems because Artie Burns was beat for a score, and then he had a, a tough uh, pass interference penalty as well. Well, that was my next question. Uh, after he got the P.I., uh, they yanked him, and he did not see the field again. Uh, what are they going to do there, Joe? I, um, I, uh, I mean, you can't cut him. You're not going to cut him. Uh, clearly, he's regressed greatly. Um, I thought Cam Sutton had a tremendous game yesterday. Do they believe that he has the skills to actually start at corner in place of Artie Burns, or do you think they'll go with Sensabaugh if they don't use Burns against Cleveland? Well, I think that's something we have to bear watching over this bye week. I mean, if you remember last year, they, they started Sutton against New England on the outside um, when Hayden was hurt. And, you know, that the, all the problems they had against New England, Sutton really wasn't one of them. Um, I, I would, you know, I think maybe in practice they'll maybe – Try, try to work him, you know, with this extra week, maybe work him in a little bit outside to see what he can do. Um, but, uh, yeah, the way, the way it's going right now, um, I would think they'd have to do something of that nature. In, in your conversations uh, off the record, on the record, uh, with coaches, um, do they have any idea what's going on with Artie Burns? Uh, they seem, you know, <laughs> I know that they seem as mystified as anybody else. When you're in your third year, you're you're supposed to keep improving. You're not supposed to make those kind of mistakes, and yet they continually happen with this team and uh, or with this player. You know, and it's just uh, you know, it's, it's it's I think it's as baffling to them as it is to everybody on the outside. Well, it's you know kind of amazing. Um, you know, really, that's a missing link over there. Um, it also strikes me that in general, uh, and certainly the Atlanta game, they had all that pressure um, on Matt. Ryan, they had decent pressure on Dalton. They had three sacks, but I thought they got him to move off the spot. But when you look at the weapons that the Bengals have, um, although not having Eifert makes a you know a big difference, um, and certainly the weapons that Atlanta had, are we beginning to see some improvement in pass coverage here? Oh, I think so, and and, and I and I'm also still amazed that you know especially with Cincinnati this week, and to a lesser extent Atlanta, that they didn't try to – well, Atlanta fell behind, so that hurt. But Cincinnati really didn't run the ball as much as I thought they would. And they were having some success with Joe Mixon, but yet they continually tried to, you know, to, try to you know, go up in the air and go against the secondary. And you know, the Steelers still have seen, shown that they've been vulnerable to the run, so I was a little surprised that uh, you know, they didn't try to get Mixon more involved that way. I think you're 100% right. I mean, uh, I mentioned that earlier. Mixon had 64 yards, 11 carries, 5.8, um, you know, per carry. Uh, and then they just – they got happens to offensive coordinators. You see it all the time. Uh, they just, for whatever reason, abandoning the running game, and they, they throw 42 times. Um, your thoughts on the two challenge – well, the one challenge and the uh, James Conner run that Tomlin did not challenge. You know, the, the other one was, the first one was to me was iffy. You know, I, I think maybe you had a chance to do that again. You hold that one back. Um, but then when you lose that one, that, you know, that kind of magnifies it because you only have one more shot there. And, 
it was tough. It was close. I can, I guess I can see why he didn't because you're still figuring you got three cracks to get in the end zone. Yeah. And the way you know Connor had been running, you know, it seemed like a no-brainer that he would do that, and then, then of course it backfires, and you got to settle for the the three points. Um, but yeah, you know, maybe if he has another chance, he, he does it again. But I never really did see a replay that definitively saw that he was in the end zone, and maybe they didn't have that luxury either. Well, I'm beginning to wonder. I, obviously, the head coach is responsible. I mean, he's the one who makes the decision. But uh, the point was also made that um, when you're on the road, they're not showing you any replays that might go in your favor. He And, and those plays were both way downfield on the other sideline, and he has to rely on the people upstairs just like a baseball manager waits to hear or a hockey coach waits to hear from the people who look at the video to, to tell them whether to challenge or not challenge. Yeah, and maybe, you know, like I said, maybe by the time they did get a view of that, it was too late and he had to make a decision on the next play and he didn't want to, you know, risk maybe having to use a timeout or, you know, taking a five-yard delay a game penalty. So he had to make a decision and, and just decided to go for it. That, all those things could factor in. Well, maybe he needs to make a change on whoever he's talking to uh, up in the booth. Maybe uh, maybe Mr. Magoo is not the best one to have looking over the replay up there, for those who remember Mr. Magoo. Hey, Joe, head to the locker room. I know the players are available in a couple minutes. Uh, thank you so much for spending the time. Look forward to talking to you again very soon. Anytime, Stan. All right, Joe. Thanks very much. Uh, Joe Rudder, the Pittsburgh Tribune Review, uh, beat writer covering the Pittsburgh Steelers.